Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Happy weekend, everybody. We've got a great show planned for you this morning. I always think that's the case. I do spend a large part of my Friday night making sure that's the case and my Saturday mornings. I'm here this morning with Bernadette Faulkner, who's been on the show with me several times, but it has been a while. Good morning. It has been a while. I walked in and said, once a year, hi, Alyssa, in person. I (laughs) I talked to you on the phone, but it's really nice to be here. Yeah, you as well. So Bernadette focuses, she has her own practice, Faulkner Advisory. It focuses on life and long-term care insurance. Do you want to give a quick little background profile? Sure. We, way back, my background is financial service. Mm-hmm. I worked in, in for places like Citibank and Fidelity and mutual fund companies, et cetera, and had a lot of financial services licenses. As I wound down my career, I started focusing more on insurance and working with financial planners. I actually was really tipped into doing it because my mother needed extensive long-term care and I helped her and helped her get insurance, manage insurance, et cetera. And it, was, it felt like a great service and need. So I've been doing it for about 12 years. Yeah. And I think I met you probably about 12 years ago, yes, probably when a, you first started. Yeah, I was yeah. in my second, third year, but yeah. with a long financial services background. So I felt very comfortable. Yeah. Good. Thank you again for being here. We are going to talk this morning. We're going to get into some of the specifics about life and long-term care insurance and the options that people have there and who it's suitable and appropriate for and some of the costs and all that stuff. So we'll get into that, but we wanted to maybe do a little, I don't know, do a little background and talk about, back it up a step or two or three and talk about like the reason for these discussions, the reason that I as an advisor have to have discussions with most of my clients about the importance of planning for long-term care. But what, as we discussed off air before the show, we're sick of talking about planning for long-term care. I'm, I'm sick of that term. Everyone groans. It's like going um, to the dentist. Yeah. Oh no. So we're talking today about allocating resources for healthcare and let's call it longevity. Yeah. You, I had the word, for, I had allocating for health and senior care, and you didn't love that term. No, elder care. I <laughs> oh, think did I as you get care? closer to being an elder, <laughs> okay. elder care. A senior, I think that okay. senior care. Yeah, it's really. Allocating for health and senior care. I like that. You like it? No. It doesn't really matter what the type topic of the sh- what the title of the show is, but I it's I've been yeah. doing the show for fifteen ish years yes. and I'm just and constantly trying to come up with a new and exciting, I guess, spin on topics that we've covered. You know, before. extended care and again it's not this doesn't lend itself to a title, but really the most important thing people say to me is I wanna stay home. I wanna be in my home yeah. no matter what happens and you know how much help I need. I just I wanted be in my community, be in my home, be with my family and be comfortable and taken care of as I start needing more help. Yeah. Let's talk about, so you and I talked about, (coughs) excuse me, I have a, I think it's allergies. I have the tickle in my, (coughs) the tickle in my throat the last few days. Let's talk, you and I talked about how long-term
long-term care or custodial care, like it's really a part of healthcare. It's a part, like let's group it together with planning for your health care needs and your personal care needs for the rest of your life as you age and when you're in retirement. So let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about healthcare. I think that's an easier part of the conversation and we won't get into that a whole lot. Um, But I think that's the whole baseline of this, really. Yeah. No, when I walked in also, I said to Alyssa, I'm going to interview you for the first half hour. That's fine. Stop talking. Happy to do that. Yeah. And it's really about, I think you have to start with, so people are transitioning from work life where their health insurance, let's talk about health insurance, is covered usually by employers. If not, you're going on the mass connector and getting your own health insurance. Ouch. But that's what people do. Yeah. Most people know they need it. They wake up in the morning knowing they need coverage and they have it through their employers, et cetera, for their family. When you transition into retirement, your financial planner or you on your own, but your your planner advisor, you start uh, getting to understand Medicare and what your that benefit is that you've been probably contributing to for 30, 40 years. And the baseline of paying for your health care in retirement is the whole Medicare system and the support systems around it, Medicare supplements, blah, blah, blah. But that's the a big number, I would think, in your planning for your client's retirement. Yeah. When you do the spreadsheet, there's a big number in there for annual health care costs. Yeah. So I think maybe just how do you approach that, Alyssa? How do you build a number around that so that you're comfortable and your clients are comfortable? And I will also say that is a separate note. I remember talking to one of your clients a few years ago who said one of the, a couple, one of the happiest days was when we went in and sat down with Alyssa and she told us we were ready for retirement. <laughs> we could retire. So you had a pretty extensive plan for them and there was a big number in there, I'm sure, or an important number, maybe not big, but important for covering healthcare costs every year. How do you build that number? We make a guess. So, but how? It's not a, it's <laughs> um, more than It's a an guess. educated guess. It, w- I've, over the years, have picked the brains of people in the health insurance and healthcare industry. I generally use most, I guess, everyone's 60, it's easy for people 65 and older. It's easier for people Absolutely. 65 and older because your Medicare Part B premium is a known number based on your income and for most people oh I don't have the exact number it's like $150 yeah. a month for most right. if you have if you're much higher income earner in retirement it it can be higher than that there's a graduated table but that premium is a known What's not a known is the supplemental plan that they may have. Most people have, but those costs are, uh, there's a it's wide range definable. of those costs. Yeah. yeah, it's still definable. Be right. What, where the unknowns lie is in what years will they meet their max out on their deductible? What are their, what will be their medica- cost for medication ongoing? What will be, what will be their out of pocket? And that really depends on what comes up in their life and how frequently they're going to the doctor or you know etc so those are of course unknowns so i usually i've been using something in the range of 300 a month to 600 a month per person per person yeah and that would sort if you're going on the high side of that you're anticipating that's that would be like an all in right premium supplemental plan premium or pres- and or prescription plan dental. cost of prescription maybe some let's talk, we can talk about dental separately cuz some of those numbers i've heard over the years are can be can some people have very little to no dental work 
work and some people have crazy numbers and crazy amounts of dental work in terms of the expense of that. But yeah, I'm usually using 300 to 600 a month per person, depending on someone's comfort level. And I don't, there's a boundary there. I don't generally get into what are the health, what's your health situation right now and be respectful of that. So I, I allow my clients to give me feedback regarding what they're comfortable with in terms of planning or are they, do they take no medications? Are they going to the doctor just once a year? They've been pretty healthy. Not that necessarily will continue, but if they have been for a long time, they might be more comfortable on the low side of that range. And some people uh, are more comfortable in the middle and most actually most people are let's plan in the middle and then some people want to plan on the high side if they are taking if they know something about their situation or if they just want to run a really conservative model or if they had a parent or a family member maybe that they witnessed with some sizable medical expense for a married couple I'm using something in the range of six or seven hundred a month at a minimum upwards of a thousand a month or more so I did a little spreadsheeting before the Yay. show, Bernadette. I, I know you're lo- excited I'm about that. <laughs> I love spreadsheets. I've read, and I'm sure you've read the study. Fidelity, for example, has done a study I know for that a long number, time, think, right? right? Yeah. 350,000 something. For a couple. For, I for think a, that is. a lifetime. And this I is, think that is for a couple, for your health care needs. For, the, yeah. for your lifetime. And it is just your health care, not. Correct. Not any extended care you need if you're declining. But Correct. yes, health, that, yeah, 350 for a couple from 65 till. Yeah, they're done. Fidelity is saying a married couple should have allocated In something like three hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars after taxes for health care in retirement. That's, I'm yeah. assuming that's like a present value to and maybe there's some yes. growth on that to cover future value of uh, of healthcare a rising value. So, I did some spreadsheeting to come to Yay. my own conclusions and verify I that wish number. you could all see these spreadsheets. <laughs> it's actually very basic. <laughs> but so I okay, so I did a few examples. So first of all again for a married couple it's not uncommon for me to use something like $800 a month all in for their health care expenses. I generally, the way that I run a financial plan is not that I would necessarily have a bucket of money allocated for health care, but I would build in an ongoing cost for health care, premiums out of pocket costs, et cetera, and I apply an inflation factor to that. And I generally use a higher than normal inflation. So inflation is, of course, very high right now, has been for a year or so, but on average, inflation is 3% per year for a very long time. But healthcare, I usually use something in the range of 5 or 6% per year for average inflation. Of course, it's been higher than that recently, but if when I'm doing a plan for someone, we're talking about a 20 or 30 year analysis. So you generally want to revert back to averages. So if I'm talking about a married couple and we're allocating $10,000 a year for healthcare costs in their plan, and if I grow that by 5% per year and for anticipating increased costs ongoing on that, over a 20-year period of time, so let's say they're mid-60s and we're planning for them to live until their mid-80s, $10,000 a year at 5% over a 20-year period of time adds up to 
$350,000. It's actually <laughs> roughly $331,000, but it's very close. Yeah. And then I went a little bit far. I was like, oh, that's cool. All right. I went a little <laughs> bit further. <laughs> Let's, and then I went on. Let's go on the low side and then we'll go on the high side. And then I started playing around with 20 years, 25 years, different things. Because actually, oftentimes when I'm running a plan for someone, it's, I would still say mid 60s is about average in terms of a date for retirement. So a lot of people still trying to do that and doing that. And um, definitely when they're transitioning to Medicare, whether they're retiring yep. or not, your company's likely to yep. say, okay, we're switching you over. Yep. And that's off a date that people have in their mind. Yeah, because, 65. They, because if I'm retiring at 62, people, even if they can afford it, don't want to pay out of pocket for three years for standalone health insurance. But and it's not uncommon for people to want to plan and for me to maybe advise to plan a little bit for a longer life expectancy than mid 80s. So we're off, I'm often using something in the 90%, sorry, age 90 range. So for this next calculation, let's go on the low side. So let's use for a married couple, $8,000 per year of healthcare costs. So that's a little bit more than $600 a month combined. So that's a 300 bucks a month per person. So that's on the low side of where I would plan. So for a married couple, that's $8,000 a year. And if I grow that for, and if I assume that increases by 5% every year over the life of a plan, and let's call this one a 25 year plan. So from like age 65 to age 90, that overall cost for that person is $382,000. And that's on the low side for where I would be comfortable planning for someone. Now let's go on the higher side, $1,000 a month for a married couple. So that's $500 a month per person. I would say that's on the higher side from the numbers I've heard of on average for out-of-pocket expenses. Now, again, we're just talking about healthcare. So for a married couple, that's $1,000 a month allocated for health insurance and out-of-pocket healthcare expenses. And if I grow that by 5% per year over 25 years, do you want to make a guess? how much that married couple, if they both live to age 90, how much that married couple would have spent. I'll make a wild guess. Is it closer to a half a million? It's $573,000. Almost 600. Yeah. yeah. And this is, this is getting into future value, right? Future value of that is, is less than present value. So it, but still it's a lot of money and it doesn't surprise me that you can, I've read that fidelity study multiple times before and the number is large, but then you think about it and you're like, the, this is reality. This, and uh, you're talking about 25 years. Uh, yeah. it, and it's two people, 25 yeah. years. Yeah. The other thing, again, if, if you, we, you were getting or we were getting incredibly detailed about forecasting, the reality is if you think about aging, go from the spreadsheet to looking in the mirror and looking at your family, you're likely to not need as much in a significant way between 65 and 75. It The yearly numbers going to increase as you age because you have more medical needs. And the baseline of your health insurance premiums will stay the same, but you may have illnesses that you're facing, need more help, all that. It's not a flat line. Even without considering inflation, it's not a flat line over 25 years. It's a slow increase in costs. Yeah. More than inflation, faster than inflation, because you're needing more care. Right. You're needing more medical, you're needing more medications. You, you might be facing illnesses, et cetera. Right. So it's a steeper, yeah, it's, right? it, it, it's, it's, a, it's an it's incline. A sh- yeah. It's an incline in costs. Yeah. Yeah. 
Let's talk about dental care just for a moment. It's not something that I, first of all, have you ever heard of anyone have, having dental insurance? Oh, sure. Like in I'm, in, in oh. working years, I know, but like retiree oh, oh, absolutely. dental insurance. I know RP has a plan. I just don't know much about it. Well, and if it's, I don't know a huge amount, but I yeah. do certainly know that you can have it. So just in the context of Medicare supplements, Medicare Advantage, which is the baseline of your health care, and usually your dental is built in when you're working. Yeah. It's an additional plan, but it's part of the package. Yeah. Advantage plans, Medicare Advantage plans have health care benefits, have dental benefits built in, they're minimal. Yeah. They're cleanings three times yeah. a year and maybe a thousand dollars. Yeah. Year. If that's, you that's get, even like normal work plans while you're working yeah. too. The coverage yeah. is generally minimal. The, so the the higher level Medicare complements are Medicare supplement plans. They're different than Advantage. Medicare supplement plans have more covered on the medical side. Mm-hmm. They have no dental. But all of the companies, Blue Cross Blue Shield, all of them offer a separate dental. So when you're sitting down really planning for your health care and retirement, you first look at the baseline as Medicare, Part A, Part B, and then you add a supplement, which is only covering medical, but it's covering all of the stuff that Medicare doesn't cover. Then you add a dental plan mm. and you add a drug plan, you end up having four yeah. different medical plans. One of them is dental. And they, if you Googled Medicare supplements, the dental stuff starts popping up too. Yeah. It's, it's an additional premium. Yeah. Again, it's a similar coverage to what you have uh, if you're employed, yeah. which might be a $2,000 cap, a $3,000 cap on the non kind of maintenance things. If so, and it's a 50% coverage of this and that. Yeah. You usually, if you have significant dental needs, end you're, up paying a big painful. chunk. Yeah. It's, it's a painful chunk for... A- anytime yeah. I've ever looked at dental insurance, it's been... It's more It's more like your... I guess this is insurance in general, but dental in specific is like you're just allocating... You're just allocating money. Like you're paying your premium... And that's and you're getting cleanings per year and some maintenance type coverage, but you're just like paying for that with your premium. And then there's yes. not a whole lot of couple coverage of grand. beyond yes. that. Yeah, yeah. Usually yeah. a couple of thousand dollars for the ba- for other things like crowns and caps. What are the big things people need? It's pretty crowns and caps and yeah. There's a couple of thousand dollars in the coverage. Yeah, yeah. So it gets you pretty far down the road if you pick up a dental plan. You need to add it to your little package of Medicare supplement dental and a drug plan four different so a lot of people don't pick up the dental when i was thinking about dental insurance so in in thinking about our discussion this morning i was thinking about insurance there's two ways that i think about insurance of all different types and one way for me to think about insurance is that it's just allocating money it's forcing you to pay on a consistent basis for something that you're going to need because you on your own wouldn't tuck it aside and have that money, most people, wouldn't be responsible enough to tuck it aside and have that money readily available. So like dental is a perfect example of that. Like you're paying a small premium, but you're- And they are small. Allocating, yeah, yeah, what, 50 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, whatever it is. You're basically like allocating your money 
for certain services versus if you didn't have the dental insurance and then you go in for your cleaning and it's 500 bucks the, or 250 bucks. Whereas you just pay your monthly premium and you're, and then they cover the cleaning. You're just kind of like allocating your money. The other right. thing I would add to that. Yes. I think, it, I think you get more bang for your buck than just that. It's the premium is a little savings account that you, yeah. you know, I think it's more than that. I think there's leverage yeah. because a lot of people don't use they, yep. A lot of people pay premiums and a smaller number of people right. actually use the insurance. And so it's a pool, you're covered, it, insurance is a pool of people and it's shared risk. But the other thing that really does matter is that there are negotiated rates. Yeah. And just like in medical, if you go in and have an MRI and pay for it yourself because you don't have insurance, it's $5,000. And if it's covered by your insurance... Blue, for instance, Blue Cross Blue Shields has negotiated, and the bill is only two thousand to them. Yeah. So you're getting with dental too. You're getting quoted rates when you get a personal bill to pay for something versus negotiated rates, which are lower. Yeah. So I think that's a big thing. That's a hidden thing. Yeah. No, that's a fair point. And when I think about insurance, you're right. It's really twofold. It's partially like allocating money for something that you. I was going to say will need or probably will need, but it's also the leverage component of that. And I have a, I want to get into that a little bit after the break and talk about leverage and in what situations we're seeing insurance as leverage. And and, and then I want to talk about allocating because I think there's certain insurance where it's, there's more leverage than others, like term insurance, for example. And right. we can get it, that, that is leverage. That's not really allocate. You're never going to pay into that what you would potentially receive. But, but, and then we'll talk about risks and all that stuff. But I want to talk about, I want to get into that a little bit more, nerd out a little bit on like leverage versus allocating because then long-term care insurance, for example, is more like allocating, I think. I guess it depends, but we'll talk about that. Oh, Tim is waving his hands at me that we have to take a break in a minute. So we'll get more into that after the break. Yes, Um, yes. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed talking about allocating for health and senior care this morning, planning for those things later in life. My guest this morning is Bernadette Faulkner with Faulkner Advisory. Bernadette is a long-term care and life insurance specialist that I've known for... At least 12 Since years. before I had gray hairs. <laughs> Maybe before you had children. Oh, uh, that could be the case. Yes. Or right around the time I started having yes, children. exactly. So. We are just going to take a break and more on this topic in a moment. Did you know that there are almost 10,000 mutual funds out there? not to mention almost 2,000 ETFs. And what's an ETF? Given these overwhelming numbers, how do you go about selecting what's appropriate? Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. If you're ready to let a professional worry about your investments, visit us at McNamaraFinancial.com. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm joined this morning by Bernadette Faulkner with Faulkner Advisory. Bernadette is a long-term care and life insurance specialist. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Great. Thanks. Nice to be here. Yeah, you as well. I feel like last time we did a show, could we have been on Zoom? Like we had years of Zoom yes. shows before. It was Zoom Things or, yes, for maybe just the phone. Yeah, but it's good to have you on my studio. end. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's so much more fun. Yeah. It is. We are talking about, let's be honest, we're going to get into long-term care insurance and the necessity or the, the reasons that people look into it and might want to consider it and talking through that a little bit. But I don't know, having some conversations leading up to that setting the stage, et cetera, talking about planning for 
health care needs and long-term care needs in retirement. But right before the break, and I wanted to continue this a little bit because I was getting excited thinking about leverage and allocating. So, you know, like right before we were quickly talking about how I could describe insurance in a couple of different ways. And I think that different types of insurance are more often leverage and sometimes it's more often allocating. And then I started getting into even beyond there talking about how like even like the social security program is like it, that that's allocating. And, and I was thinking about like mortgages and growth of real estate and how that's first it's leverage, but then long-term it's really allocating. I started like going off on all these tensions and getting really- Oh, you're a nerd too. I know, I was like getting all nerdy about it. Because <laughs> you like it. I know. Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about term life insurance for a moment, because I think that's an easy one to explain leverage. Absolutely. So with term life insurance, it's a very, relatively speaking, a very inexpensive premium for what you potentially receive as a as I guess I'm gonna, I don't know what other term to use. I was going to say benefit. It's called a death benefit, not that a benefit when someone passes away, generally earlier on in life. But term insurance is you like a healthy 40 year old female could probably get a million dollars of term insurance for 40 bucks a month. It, it is really inexpensive. That's right. I, yeah. Let's just say a thousand dollars a year, whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. So for what your, for what your potential For maybe a half getting, a million dollars in coverage. So it's, so it, so you, that's important. What, what do you, what's the insurance amount? Right. Yeah. So term is very inexpensive because you could pay 40, 50 bucks a month or something in that range for access, I shouldn't say access, for potentially receiving multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars if you passed away. It's more, you get it because someone is depending on you. You get it, you don't get term insurance when you're 22 and free and easy and if something happens to you, premature death, no one's going to be impacted financially. A lot of people are going to be really impacted emotionally but not financially. You get term insurance when suddenly or someone's depending on you to pay a mortgage, to raise you're having kids, kids yep. you're, you're partnering with someone and you're sharing expenses, et cetera. If something happens to you, someone is going to be financially really impacted. That's why you get it. So that there's a, it's not a death benefit. It's a beneficiary benefit. So right. that your heirs, whoever you choose is going to get a pile of money yeah. to help them get through a very difficult time. So I think term insurance is, and the reason it's so inexpensive is because there's a very small probability of a death benefit paying out. I think the statistics are still really low, like less than 5% of term insurance policies actually pay the death benefit because this is covering a period of time before statistical life expectancies. Well, so, typically, because people get that get term insurance, it's it, it makes the most sense when you're when you're 20 somethings, 30 somethings and some event you buy a house, you get married, something suddenly someone's depending on me. You get it then and you have it for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. So maybe you have it from age 30 to 55. Mm-hmm. Most people stay pretty healthy in those during that time. There's a small minority of people that do have a premature death and their beneficiaries get this large sum. So you're sharing the language in the insurance world is it's a pool of risk. And you're in a big group of people where I'm making up a number of 100 people, maybe only three are going to actually need, are yeah. going to have this death benefit actualized. So it's inexpensive. And I, I think 
first of all, very appropriate and very common. People recognize the the potential financial risk and the premiums are palatable, right? So very common, I think very widely appropriate type of insurance. I think it, it, it's... And by the way, just if you're not totally familiar with term insurance, it's called term insurance because it expires. Hmm. It's usually 25 or 30 years and it's done, it's gone. And it's a fixed pre. That's the mm-hmm. other reason why you can you know, say it's inexpensive because if in year one you're paying whatever, $700 a year for the premium, in year 25 you're still paying that amount. Yeah. And then it drops off a cliff, it's gone. But right. you've covered an enormous amount of risk that paying for college, paying for a mortgage, yeah. supplementing incomes for your partner, your family, whoever's depending on you. Yeah, I think that term insurance is like the perfect way to explain leverage. You're paying a very small premium for potentially a very large amount of money. And it's think of it as shared risk. There's a hundred yeah. people standing in a room and you're you're all throwing a dollar in the bucket yeah. to help someone who has the un- unfortunate event. Yeah. So on so that's leverage. So on the other end of the insurance spectrum is allocating your money. I think, I don't know, this is how, I think there's two ends of the spectrum for insurance. One end of the spectrum is leverage and maximizing leverage. And for example, term insurance is like the epitome of that, I think. And then on the other end of the spectrum is allocating your money for something that you will most likely need. And I just will add, if we're just talking about the term insurance example, there's no money to allocate for most people. They can't allocate in their 20s or 30s or 40s a million dollars. Fair point, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, it, it, right. If you tucked your 40 it, bucks a month away in a savings account, you're it's never going to get yeah, there. Yeah. No, you're never going to get there. Oh, I, no, I kind of wanted to do that math, but all right, we'll save that. The other end of the insurance spectrum is allocating. And I think social security, which is really like a social in, insurance program, is like the perfectly describes like the other end of that spectrum. So people pay into the social security system, which is social insurance. It's a social insurance program. People pay, some people probably don't even know this, 7.65% of all of your earned income while working up to about a cap of $129,000, $135,000, something in that range. You pay, unless you're a teacher, a firefighter, police officer in Massachusetts where they have their pension system, but if you're working in a career where you're paying into Social Security, you're paying FICA taxes or your social insurance, what is it, OAISI something insurance, OA office of... Oh, I'm going to forget it. OASD or something like that. It's the insurance program. So Social Security is an example of something that you're allocating. You're essentially, I would describe it as like you're giving the government your money and you're going to get it back one day, even if you don't live to be 62 or older and actually collect Social Security. If you pass prematurely, there's benefits that go to a surviving spouse and, and or children. So there's you're essentially allocating money, in my opinion, for later on. When we could probably talk for an hour about if Social Security didn't exist, would people be taking that 7.65% and tucking it away for their own retirement? Probably not, which is why Social Security exists, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that like very, I think that properly or illustrates well the other end of the spectrum for insurance, right? Tucking my money aside for later. So then there's, I think, like insurances in between and 
So let's talk about long-term care insurance, or, or let's talk about permanent life insurance, because I think that's in between. Right. So a permanent life insurance policy, not term, which we talked about, term life insurance is very inexpensive for what you potentially would receive. Permanent insurance is more expensive, but the coverage is designed to last forever. Sometimes Different types of policies, sometimes it's guaranteed to last forever if you pay in certain premiums. Sometimes it's projected to or assumed to last forever if the, un- like some, some policies have underlying investments and the investments have to perform in a certain way for the coverage to last X number of years, et cetera. But, <coughs> excuse me, but permanent insurance is designed to last forever for your lifetime, however long that may be, which is different from term insurance. So permanent- Which means the insurance companies are definitely gonna pay out. Right, so if Whatever I, that death benefit is, they are obligated to pay out and they do. So if I'm an insurance company and I'm issuing someone a life insurance policy and I know, I'm pretty sure, I know it's going to pay out someday, most, I'm gonna say, all right, this person is 40. Statistically speaking, they would live 40 years and then I'm going to have to pay out this death benefit. So the insurance company is going to price that policy appropriately so they're not losing money, right? So if that person lives to their statistical life expectancy, they basically want that person, I'm not an insurance underwriter, but I'm assuming like they basically want that person to have paid in enough to cover that liability because well, a permanent they, policy is going to pay out. They want the pool of people, that, that the kind of the class, the pool that you're in to have all paid enough. Because yep. remember, yep. not to get too technical, but it is relevant. If it's permanent insurance and it's a, big, it's a pool of 100 people, a few of those people are going to die in their 40s, a few uh-huh. more in their 50s. They're all going to get a million dollars, whether it's like you win you, your beneficiaries. So it's not enough for your policy right. to cover your policy. It's enough to cover the pool of people that are being insured with this company in that class. And for the insurance company to make some money. Yes. Yeah, to stay in business. Right, to stay in business. To stay, or, yeah, or to stay in business. what's the point of them issuing the policy? So yeah. some people, some people are who have this million dollar policy. Their beneficiaries are going to collect when they're in their fifties. Yeah. Some people, their beneficiaries are going to receive that check when the insured is in their nineties and pass away. Yeah. So yeah, it's bigger than just pay enough for your policy. It, it would cost a whole heck of a lot more if you were just trying to cover your policy. Sure. Okay. So if. So again, if we're talking about permanent life insurance, if you live a long life to like your statistical life expectancy, right, which is like 80-ish, 80 to 85, depending on if you're male, female, the most recent statistics I've seen, then if you do live to your life expectancy, then you've essentially allocated your money to receive that death benefit. Yeah. S- somewhat. Maybe yeah, the math isn't perfect. But you've covered. You've put in almost enough with, in, with anticipated investment earnings. You've paid in basically what your beneficiaries would receive. Yeah, I'm making this up without doing the math, but let's say you do get it when you're 40 and you pass away when you're 90. Um, it's like putting that money in a CD or something versus a right. life insurance policy. Right. Why, why wouldn't you just put it in a CD? Because guess what? You might pass away in your 50s or 60s. And it's a million dollars no matter when 
the event happens. So there's a couple, right, a couple important parts of that discussion. Like, number one, would someone, if you were just talking, so again, forced allocation, right? So it's it's not necessarily, for some people, it's not necessarily a bad thing that they were forced to allocate this money for a death benefit later. And there's different reasons that people have insurance and all that. But would that same person have put that you know, that whatever they're paying for that life insurance premium, would they have put it in that CD, for example, and kept doing it year over year to grow that roughly same amount of money? Not necessarily. Who in retirement is adding money to their portfolio? Getting a bill every year that they have to pay. Exactly. So the forced allocation for many people has its benefits, I think. It does. And we could we could keep... It, it, we could, it, it does, but I still yeah. go back to it's insurance. It's insurance. It's, it's covering something bad that might happen sooner right. than you think. Right. It's not meant for someone who lives to be 95, healthy and happy. Right. It's not. It's meant for uh, the other stuff that happens. Right. And you're leaving... A fam- you're leaving people who are vulnerable financially behind. Right. So I think if you live a long life, your permanent insurance, life insurance is allocating money. But the reason that most people have it is for the leverage component yeah, of it. Yeah, it's not a saving. It, yeah, it's not fundamentally a savings vehicle. It's, you're covering risk right. covering the potential that something is going to happen to you and right people are hurt yeah. because of it beyond emotionally they're financially really hurt yeah and i would say i guess i haven't priced out a permanent life insurance policy in a while if it was even if you're you might i don't know a, a healthy 40 something might pay for what a couple hundred thousand dollars of permanent insurance a thousand a month, not a thousand, not no, that no, much. no, five hundred, four hundred, five hundred a month. Yeah. Yeah. Any time I've really ever looked at it, it's on the order of what eight times more expensive than term insurance. But that's okay. That, there's a reason for that. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But it's still even with those numbers, even if it's a few hundred bucks a month for a couple hundred thousand dollars of insurance, it's covering that situation where you pass before your statistical life yeah, expectancy and then you the get more than you pay into it. So a that's lot the leverage. more. Yeah. yeah. A lot more. Okay. Now let's talk about long-term care insurance. Okay. <laughs> that's like why you're here. <laughs> but I meant in terms of like leverage versus allocating. How do you... So I, again, I think it's well, I think it's both. I think it's largely allocating, but but how would well, you explain it? Maybe to I had not thought of a, about it in this context, but maybe the framework that you just went through and comparison between term and whole life is very similar with long term care. And the so long term care insurance covers. It's important to understand it. It covers all of your needs and care outside of your medical insurance. So your medical insurance covers you when you're sick and when you're getting better. When you're in a situation where you are chronically ill and declining or aging, your insurance covers nothing. Medicare covers nothing. Supplements cover nothing. You're, you're on your own financially. You can insure. I'm going to step back a little bit yeah. and say, how do you pay for this? How do people pay for the cost of this? And, you know, what? I don't know if we should go in a, a, another direction and what's the likelihood you're going to need it. We can yeah. talk about that later. Yeah, let's um, talk about that but later. But the yeah. analogy to term insurance versus whole insurance is that there are different types of ways you can be insured for the cost of care, home care, 
assisted living care, et cetera. Straight up, simple, long-term care insurance that only covers long-term care if you need care is similar to term insurance. Yeah. It's yeah, the fair least point. expensive yeah. premium-wise, but it has the most focused payout, yeah. and it's if you need care. If mm-hmm. you never need long-term care, you don't get any return of premium. You've paid yeah. a premium every year, yeah. and you may never use the insurance. It's like you pay a premium every year on your house insurance, and for for house insurance, and you may never have a catastrophic house event where you need to collect a big pile of money on house insurance. Having said that, I like where you're going with this, but let me just interrupt for a brief moment. Don't forget what you were gonna say next. When I love the, (laughs) I actually, I love this comparison like term and permanent life insurance and then standalone long-term care and we'll get into other types of long-term care policies with term insurance, again, we were explaining term life, life insurance is leverage, something, statistics are something like three to 5% of policies will actually pay out. That's why it's so inexpensive. Right. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have it. Term insurance is very appropriate for like many Americans, most people that have dependents. It's, I think it's critical. Standalone long-term care insurance is also the, a lower premium but you versus some other types, which we'll get into, but you might never use it. However, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the statistics in terms of how many of those policies are used are much higher. Much 40-ish percent higher. is what I've seen. Something like 40% of standalone long-term care insurance policies pay uh, out. Yes. Now, maybe that's not enough for some people to wrap their heads around the cost, but still, if we're comparing it to like term life insurance, which is inexpensive, it's leverage, I'm paying in, I might never need it, but the statistics are very low that you would actually receive a death benefit with a term insurance policy. Statistics are much higher with a long-term care insurance policy. Absolutely. And fundamentally, again, just maybe go in another direction, it is why long-term care insurance has been so popular with people that, that are aware of it and can afford it. It's also why the premiums that when you're issued it, the premiums are intended to be fixed for life. They're not guaranteed, but they're intended. That's why premiums over time have gone up and up and insurance companies have stepped back from offering it because what they found out was they were paying out much more than they were taking in on premium. Even if people perceive premiums to be expensive, the, the insurance companies were not able to make the numbers work where they could sustain the model yeah. this. And they're not doing and, anybody any good if they're not yeah, in business. And yeah, uh, and yeah, sustain the model and pay out because yeah. so many people were using these policies, yeah. every penny of them. Yeah. So it's been an issue for the last 10 years. Long-term care insurance has been around for about 35, 40 years. The last 10 years, it's gotten higher and uh, yeah. harder and harder to, for the insurance companies to make it work, in quotes. Yeah. So the insurance companies have gotten creative in a good way and come up with other ways for people that are to some degree more appealing to to people who are looking for insurance, but also that are more sustainable where they can pay out. I think we're in this period of time where we're starting to see some 
I don't know, un, unusually high or some, we're seeing some significant adjustments in long-term care insurance premiums like right now, the last several years. Yes, you just said last been, 10 years or so. Yep. But if you think about it, like <clears throat> long-term care insurance, excuse me, has been around 35 or 40 years. So they're issuing policies 35 to 40 years ago and they needed, how old are those people taking out policies? Mid 60s, 70s, something like that. So they needed 20 or 30 years for the, for the evolution of the, the lifespan of those people that were taking out like the first policies. So they didn't have the data 40 years ago to price the policies properly, it seems to me. So they underpriced them. No yeah. question about it. And by the way, the average is more like 55 to 60 that people get them. But yes, the they, average age, excuse yes, me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. But yeah. And, but yes, they did not have the actuarial tables in life insurance language to really forecast yeah. and understand what the cost would be. And medical costs have gone up much higher than inflation, much higher. M- my point in saying that in terms of insurance companies needed basically like a generation or to so. To really understand, to understand the math. I, I think that people right now are very I don't know what's the word. Some people are nervous or scared or I don't know, have a bad taste in their mouth regarding these standalone long-term care policies. Not everyone, but because they have had, we have seen sizable increases in those premiums the last 10 years or so. It's, I don't know, I'm maybe I'm, spe- I'm speculating here for sure. <laughs> it doesn't seem to me that we would net pattern would necessarily continue because now the insurance companies have the data they need to price new policies properly. I think new policies issued now versus 20 and 30 and 40 years ago, even factoring in inflation are more expensive. So I think they're probably priced better now so that potentially these 50 to 100% increases in premium that we've seen, which is which I think scares people. We, I'm speculating that we won't necessarily see that in the next 20 or 30 years. Comments? I agree with that. Yeah. The many insurance companies have gotten out of the business, as they say. They're sustaining and managing their current pulp policies that have been issued over the last 30 years. They're not offering new policies. So companies that have decided I can't, we can't make this work have stepped back and said, no new clients. We're just going to mm-hmm. cover the people that have policies now. The few companies that have figured it out do have much more sustainable models. They're pricing these policies much more realistically, which means higher. Yeah. But the odds of price increases in premiums over the years, I think, have gone way down. Yeah. I also they are regulated. Insurance companies are regulated regulated at the state line at the federal level. They don't just whimsically pick premiums. They're reviewed by insurance regulators and they have had to prove that they can cover the risk based on the premiums they're charging. Yes. They've gotten more experienced, they've gotten better at it, they're pricing these, and they're more expensive. Yeah, and I'm saying that to somewhat comfort the people that are looking into long-term care insurance now. I would also say things that some of the insurance underwriters have said to me, which I think are valid, is that if you got a policy 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and you are seeing a significant price increase now the first time, the policies, premiums have been fixed for 15, 10, 15 years, and now you're seeing a big price increase. 
It is absolutely true that policy was so underpriced yeah. that you were getting... You got a deal for a you while. You got a deal for a long time. Yeah. And now you're paying a more realistic amount. Yeah. And for most people, the worst thing you can do is give up that policy at this point when you've invested that much money in it. Yeah. But it, ha- it, but it was significantly underpriced. Yeah, yeah. Their mistake, they're bad, but... Yeah, and I think that change is hard and increased cost for people is hard and it's not something they planned on it. The part of it is we didn't plan on this. But yeah, I think the policies are probably priced better now and I'm hoping we don't see the same patterns repeat in terms of the sizable increases. Anyway, we'll get into that a little bit more after but the break. But having said that, it still it was the only option for a long time to cover long-term care, straight up long-term care insurance. Yeah. Insurance companies have come up with other ways to do it. Yeah, let's address these issues. Let's talk about that after the break. I want to talk about hybrid life long-term yeah. care insurance policies. Those are gaining in popularity for very good reason. We'll talk about that after the break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. Find out more about me at McNamaraFinancial.com. Talking with this morning with Bernadette Faulkner Advisory. We'll give out your contact information after the break, but we got to take a short break. We'll be right back.